everyone. Welcome to Dig Deep. We are in the middle of a series called Wounded Healer. And in this series, I'm interviewing people who have experienced all different forms of pain and suffering and grief in this life and asking them to share their experience and then share God's truth and how he was with them through that suffering and I am a little nervous about our topic today because it's a difficult topic, but I am so excited about our interview guest. Kara is back on the podcast. Kara, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is Kara Watson. So Kara was my very first ever podcast recording was an interview with you back Mm -hmm. last year. And many of you remember Kara from the episode, we called it Temples and Tents, where she talked about the the female body specifically in scripture. And Kara is currently self-publishing in the process of self-publishing a Bible study on that topic. It is yet to be titled and it is hoping it hopefully will be released very soon. Hopefully this fall, this fall. Yeah. And we'll be sure to let you know when that's out and available. But one of the reasons I asked Kara to come on for this interview is she has experience with miscarriage and infertility, but even more than that, she has felt compelled to add those subjects to her body Bible study that she is writing and Mm self-publishing. And so in that process, she has talked with many women who have experienced grief in these areas. And like I said, she's experienced it personally herself. So so it's a difficult topic, but we're going to just dive right in. So Kara, I'd love for you to start by just telling people a little bit about your story with Pregnancy, um, miscarriage, infertility, the overview mm-hmm. of what, what you've been through, what you've experienced. Yeah. So um, we got pregnant actually with our first quite by surprise mm-hmm. back in 2010. And it was a healthy pregnancy and we had a son. And I remember being a little bit insensitive during that time, um, telling everyone, oh, yeah, I guess I'm super fertile, you know, mm-hmm. because... We got pregnant when we were actually trying not to be pregnant. And, of course, we were excited when we were, and we were excited when everything went well. So after that, I assumed it would be very easy for me to get pregnant again. And so around his one-year birthday, we started trying again, and then I experienced what's called secondary infertility. They call it officially infertility when you try for a year or more. And we tried for a year, and we weren't getting pregnant. Then finally, when he was turning two, we got pregnant, and I was super thrilled. We'd been trying for a year. I was so excited. And then that baby miscarried, mm-hmm. and I was devastated. I never thought that was possible. My mom hadn't experienced miscarriages, and I thought, I know. I mean, I had known some people who had, but hadn't really heard much of their story, and it just really blindsided me. So then we got pregnant again after that, about five more months later, and initially that pregnancy didn't seem to be going well. I thought I was going to miscarry again, but it stuck. So we had our second son, and um, so at that point we had two successful pregnancies, one miscarriage and a year of infertility, and then um, that was 2014 when our second son was born. And then last year, in 2016, we experienced two more miscarriages, Mm -hmm. and one that was like especially difficult uh, just last fall, just last October, so it's pretty fresh still. And I'll share a little bit more about those later. And then we got pregnant again, so my sixth pregnancy, Mm -hmm. um, still with only two kids, sixth pregnancy um, this spring, and right now we're 
um, 23 weeks pregnant. Yeah. Um, we found out it's a girl. Yay. So we're excited, yeah. but I'm also holding my breath yeah. <laughs> every day um, a lot more than maybe somebody who hasn't gone through miscarriage because there's that um, constant fear, like, what if I lose this baby too? And so the first trimester was ex- especially difficult. Yeah. There was a little bit of a sigh of relief after getting out of the first trimester, but yeah. I think there's still... Um, you know, anybody who's miscarried knows that a positive pregnancy test doesn't always lead to a baby. And so there's right. always a little bit of that nervousness yeah. um, all throughout the pregnancy. So yeah. that's kind of where we are now. Yeah. And, you know, it, I appreciate you sharing your story and sharing your experiences with us today, Kara, because I, this part of why I think this topic is such a difficult topic for us to talk about is it's sort of a a hidden and an invisible grief in so many people's mm-hmm. lives. And so many people would look at you, you're adorably pregnant right now and would never guess that you had pain like this in your, in your story, in your yeah. background. They'd think, yeah. Oh, look at her. She's got healthy biological children. Mm-hmm. Um, she's good to, she's good to go. But mm-hmm. this grief mm-hmm. is very deep and, mm-hmm. um, and often goes, unseen yeah. to the, to the naked eye. And Definitely. so it's important mm-hmm. to, to talk about it. And mm-hmm. so to frame our time for our conversation about this today, I would love for you to address what some of the lies were that crept mm-hmm. in during your experiences of, of miscarriage and infertility, and mm-hmm. then what truth God brought into your life to help you combat those lies, because this pain is uniquely um, isolating and the enemy, I think wants to use it to separate us from God. And so Mm -hmm. what are some of the lies that crowded in on your heart and your mind? And then what truth, um, did God bring into your life to counteract those? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, after our first miscarriage in, um, 2013, I remember, you know, we had these um, few days where we weren't sure, like it was it wasn't looking good. We went into the doctor. She did an ultrasound, an early ultrasound, and she wasn't sure. And so we had a few days of not knowing. Where I just prayed my heart out, claimed all these verses about, you know, mm-hmm. believing you will have what you pray for and you'll receive it. And I really poured my heart out to the Lord. And then three days later, we went in for mm-hmm. another checkup, and you know the gestational sac hadn't grown and and the baby wasn't going to make it. And, um, I just remember feeling like I'd been pushed off a cliff in my faith and nobody caught me. And I was just like crashed at the bottom. And I remember having this question in my mind, you know, because we hear so much about pro-life and the pro-life movement and, Mm. you know, people have the bumper stickers and, you know, we support that or whatever. But then I was questioning, like, isn't God pro-life? And if Mm. he's pro-life, then why, you know, does he have some people get healthy babies that they then abort? And then I wanted this baby so bad for a year. I've been wanting this baby and he doesn't let it live, you know? Mm. And it wasn't even a comfort to me. People would say, well, maybe the baby would have had a problem. You know, it wouldn't have been a healthy baby. And I didn't care. I wanted that baby, even if it was going to be unhealthy, even if it was going to have some disease or birth defect or something, I wanted it so bad. I was like, I would have loved it and cared for it no matter what. And, I really struggled with this idea of whether God is pro-life or not. And at the time, I hadn't really thought about what happens to miscarried babies. And a friend passed along a book to me called I'll Hold You in Heaven. Mm. And I read that, and it made the case scripturally for why these babies 
do pass straight into eternity and they aren't just a lost clump of cells. Mm. And I remember one of the um, chapters in that book kind of detailed the story about Mary and Elizabeth when they were pregnant with John the Baptist and Jesus. And early on in the pregnancy, so Mary had just found out that she'd conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And she was in her first trimester, probably her first few weeks, actually. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, who was probably about six months pregnant at that point with John the Baptist. And when Mary visits Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb recognizes the baby in Mary's womb and leaps at the recognition of its savior. And the point there is that this baby that was only an embryo of a few weeks old yeah. was recognizable as, you know, the future Messiah and was known and had an identity even yeah. as an embryo. It wasn't like at some point later on it became Jesus. Like it was Jesus then. Yeah. And so we can be confident that our embryos that are just a week or two or three old are recognizable and known by God, even if, you know, we don't know who they would have become. Like God knew and God knows their souls and they do have an identity even at that young embryonic age. And so I do believe that I have three babies in heaven that I'll meet when I get there and I look forward to that. And that that book and some other things I read and heard convinced me that they do live on in eternity. And so with this idea of isn't God pro-life, I realized that like life does exist for miscarried babies and for that first miscarried baby mm-hmm. that I was mourning at that time, I I felt like she, and I use the word she just because I had this instinct that it was a she. It mm-hmm. might not have been. I don't know for sure. I'll mm-hmm. only know one day in eternity. But yeah. I feel like she was living on in the arms of her Savior and that death wasn't the final answer. Mm-hmm. So a passage that really meant a lot to me in that time was um, from 1 Corinthians 15, It's 54 to 57, and it says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory Mm. through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I felt like, I just wanted to remind Satan that he didn't have the final answer, like at the very bottom of the page when all is said and done, like the final victory is won Mm -hmm. by the Lord and death isn't the final answer. And so that word victory really um, stuck out to us as um, a couple, as a family. And so when our next son was conceived and we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. I sort of gave him the name while he was still in utero, Victory. Mm. And we live in Turkey, so we were referring to it by the Turkish name Zafar while he was in. um, Zafar is the word for victory. So while he was in utero, we referred to him by that name. And we decided that when he was born, we would give him that first name to commemorate what the Lord had done. And that God receives the victory, whether the baby passes straight into the arms of our Savior sometime early on in the pregnancy or whether they make it and live 100 years on earth. God gets the victory either way. And so we felt like we wanted to commemorate that, whether the baby miscarried or not, his name was going to be Victory. Victory. So that is our son's name, actually. His (laughs) first name is Victory. His middle name is Aslan, which is Turkish for lion. And Mm. since we live in Turkey, he um, usually goes by Aslan, but his official first name is Victory right there on his passport. That's awesome. And we feel like that's a memorial to the Lord of what he was doing in our lives at the time. And when he grows up, we'll tell him the full story where his name comes from. 
That is awesome, Kara. Thank you for, for sharing that. And, um, I know that you have shared with me too, and this, um, hits a nerve for me that another one of the lies, and we were talking about this earlier Mm -hmm. that came up is, Mm -hmm. is God really a good father? And we were talking about this because I have shared even on the podcast that there was a season, a dark season of, of, um, grieving in my life where that was the song that we were singing at church and I struggled to sing Mm -hmm. those words. And I, I love the way you talk about this. So what, how did you handle that lie that is God really a good father? Because in the midst of that grief, it's so hard to believe that to be true. Is he a good father? Yeah. So with our um, third and most recent miscarriage, which was just about um, nine months ago or so, in that one, similar to the first one, we had this season, or at least few days really, of not knowing for sure what was going to happen. Like things weren't looking good. Um, The doctor had like, you know, not good news for us when she did an early on ultrasound Mm. at eight weeks. And she said, come back in a couple days, but the heartbeat has slowed down. The size is smaller than it should be. But at this point, we can't say anything for sure because there still is a heartbeat, though it's very faint and too faint for what it should be at this point. And so at that point, I felt like God really, like I was tempted to sort of protect my heart and just give up at that point and not Mm -hmm. put my heart into it. Um, But I felt like God really asked me to press in and re-engage, even though I'd been hurt you know, three years before Mm. with this other miscarriage, I felt like he said, you know, still pour your heart into prayer. And that was really challenging, but I did um, for those next 48 hours until the follow-up appointment. And I got others to pray with me. We organized a prayer vigil, which I'd never done before, just leading up to the appointment. You know, someone was praying every hour for 12 hours. And I went to the appointment full of hope Mm. because God had asked me to do this and, or I thought he had, and... Um, we get to the appointment and she does another ultrasound and, you know, says, I'm sorry, Kara, there's no heartbeat anymore. It's like officially over. And at that point she started making preparations for my DNC, which in Turkey they call an abortion, which makes it very difficult to hear because it's the same procedure where they sort of clean out the contents of your uterus and, um, you know, get everything cleaned up. And so she started, you know, talking about making plans for that a couple of days later. And I knew, you know, it's over if she's talking about that now. Yeah. And so at that point, I, I felt totally failed by God. Again, I felt like I'd been pushed off that cliff. Like, why did God let this happen? Isn't he a good father? You know, and that song had been on my mind a lot lately, good, good father. And I just felt like he wasn't good to yeah. me at the time. Like, why... I mean, if, if he's going to let us miscarry, at least don't ask me to pour my heart into right. prayer. And I felt right. like he had even asked me to pour right. my heart into prayer and, and um, throw myself into it with faith those right. past few days. And why would he have asked me to do that if he's a good father? And so I remember that day, that night, um, two days later, I had the DNC. And that night we had um, a small group meeting yeah. and we were going to pray. And um, I felt like, you know, the song Blessed Be Your Name has been had been on my mind a lot because it's like, are we going to say Blessed Be Your Name, not just when the sun's shining down on me right. and the world's all as it should be, but are we also going to say Blessed Be Your Name when, you know, we walk through the desert place and through the wilderness and when we're on the road marked with suffering and there's pain in the offering, then are we going to say Blessed Be Your Name? Right. And I felt like my challenge that night at the small group prayer time, you know, we bowed our heads for prayer and mm. I felt like the only thing I had to say and should say and could say was to get out the phrase, blessed be your name. And it was 
probably like the hardest sentence I've ever spoken because it was, I mean, I was choking back tears. I could barely say the words, but you know, I choked them out. And I think to say, blessed be your name at a time like that, when there was so much pain and even offering those words and, and Mm. affirming that statement, I think that is when we do the biggest battle in the spiritual realms where we are just beating back the forces of darkness that would want to overcome us. And we're saying, no, I choose to believe this Wow. Even though I don't feel it right now, and even though my heart is protesting 100% against saying blessed be your name right yeah. now, because I don't agree in my feelings, but to say I know the truth to be that God's name is to be praised, and we are to praise him even when it's painful, right? Wow. This, the scriptures talk about the sacrifice of praise, and in that moment, it was a sacrifice for yes. me to praise God, right. but I believe he is so honored yeah. I mean, he's always honored by our praise, and I hate to compare, but I think maybe he's even more honored yeah. when we praise him when it's hard to do so, yeah. and we still put our hearts out and give him the praise that he deserves, whether our situation is good or not, whether things pan out the way we want them to or not, he still yeah. deserves the praise, and he's still worthy of us saying, blessed be your name. Yeah. So I think the lie that he's not a good father needs to be combated with that truth. And we still have to choose to, to praise him. Yeah. Which is the most difficult assignment in moments like that. Yeah. You just even saying the words feels like a betrayal of your feelings. Feelings. And you just think I cannot even open my mouth right now. And that's one of the reasons I just have so much respect for you, Kara, and Mm -hmm. have learned so much from you in this because you have, in in all of these seasons of grief, continued to lean in even when it's really really hard, and um and that's inspiring to me. So thanks for sharing that. That's, but I would that's I would awesome. say it's not it's not easy. And there's there were moments right. in that season, especially that week, yeah, where I was like, am I going to give up on my faith? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I hate to even say that, but I no, I, I thought that good. I thought yeah. is the enemy going to win here? Like right. I wondered that, and in my private thoughts, I yeah. thought like. I've had those thoughts. Is too. this going to yeah. happen? You know, like, is this really the end? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this how it goes down? I, yes, I'm exactly. going to lose my religion. Or, yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna lose my faith. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, that's good. Thanks for being so honest and so vulnerable about that, Kara. I, I know that anyone who's listening, if you are going through a grief like that mm-hmm. now, you probably relate to what Kara's sharing. And um, I'd encourage you to try uttering words mm-hmm. that you believe to be true, mm-hmm. that maybe you um, aren't feeling like are true right now but mm-hmm. just to speak them out loud and mm-hmm. it, it won't feel warm and fuzzy like mm-hmm. a special worship night at church or anything like that. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll be painful. Like a sacrifice is painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe it will give God glory and mm-hmm. it will ultimately be a part of a part of your healing. I mean, mm-hmm. would you say that that yeah. is part of your healing? Yeah. Because I think we are doing battle when we do that Absolutely. and we are fighting against the tendency to be enveloped by the darkness. Yeah. Which, yes. And I feel like this particular type of grief is prone to that. I mean, this is a weird, it's a weird form of grief because there's certain types of grief that we experience in our lives that are just easier to talk about with people. I mean, if we lose a loved one, Mm -hmm. if someone in our family dies, Mm -hmm. we tell almost every, I mean, you tell your boss, Mm -hmm. you tell your neighbors probably like there's no, there's no stigma. There's no weirdness about it. It's not a particularly private Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, certainly the grief is very deep and Mm -hmm. it's personal, but this Mm -hmm. is a type of grief that we don't share. We don't share Mm -hmm. because it's about, um, something that's very intimate and very Mm -hmm. private. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, 
lends itself to being yeah. a particularly isolating kind of grief. Yes. And it gives the darkness an opportunity to envelop our right. hearts because right. it's not as out in the open as maybe other forms of grief, though just as painful, right. it, it's less, right. it's more of a private, it tends right. to be more private. And we feel grief. like people won't legitimize it, right? If you lose a grandparent or a parent, right. everyone's so sorry and there's right. a big funeral ceremony, you know, everybody legitimizes it. But if you lose your child before they're born. Sure, people have different People might think it's, you know, it wasn't really your child anyway and mm. just get over it kind of thing. And so we feel like we shouldn't be sure there's a fear there allowed to grieve the way right. we would if we lost, you know, an adult relative or something. Mm. And so that's one thing that makes this type of grief just really unique is that it can be particularly isolating. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But one of the other things that's um, really difficult about this type of grief and suffering in our lives is the comparison trap that we fall into. And you addressed this in your body Bible study. I remember from when I went through it the first time, just how as women, we are prone to comparing ourselves to other women all the time. Anyway, just every, their body, their hair color, their everything about them. We do it without even thinking about sometimes it's something we have to fight against. And so then in this type of grief, it's so, um, that's such a dangerous trap that we can fall mm-hmm. into. And I love the way that you talk about this. So would you share with us a little bit about that, about the comparison trap of miscarriage and infertility? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's particularly hard because, you know, when you're trying to get pregnant or when you've gotten pregnant, but lost the baby, it's really easy to just see all of a sudden you see everybody around you who's pregnant. You yeah. know, you go to the mall and you see one or two pregnant women, but you come home feeling like everybody was pregnant, pregnant. And right, even exactly. the men, you know, <laughs> or, um, you know, you go to a party and yeah. someone's sharing their good news and you kind of smile through tears and have to walk away because yeah. you're in just such a painful spot getting that, you know, negative pregnancy test month after month and you're trying to be happy for them and share their joy, but you can't do it without crying. Yeah. Um, you know, or you're on Facebook and yet another person mm. is, you know, posting, posting their picture. cute picture or their ultrasound picture or yeah. whatever, their bump picture. And you're just inside torn apart by it because yeah. um, you want to be making that announcement, but your baby didn't make it. And yeah. it's just, it's really difficult because it's easy to see everybody else's positive moments. And most people aren't sharing like right. their negative pregnancy test or like yeah. their their um, miscarriage moments. And so it's easy to assume that, you know, that lady you saw at the mall, oh, it was probably so easy for her. Right. It probably happened really quickly. But you don't honestly know that. You don't know her story. Maybe she tried for 10 years and finally got pregnant. Or maybe she lost four babies and this is finally the fifth pregnancy that's making it. And we don't know the story, but it's easy to assume that everybody else's story is easy and yeah. good and positive and going right. well when we're in that moment. Um, because I think envy is so powerful and we think, why am I going through this? Why not her? You know, why is she, you know, pregnant with her third right in a row and I've had three miscarriages or I've tried for three years. Why doesn't God give me the baby? I want it more than she, I mean, like as if we could compare that, but we think we want it more. And, um, I think it's really easy to fall into that trap of comparison. And I think social media only exacerbates it and, um, and makes us feel even more, you know, empty or alone yeah. when we can't produce that child that we've been wanting. Yeah. And we're out of control. I mean, we all like to be in control and we like yeah. to control our lives and we're totally out of control. Yeah. We can't make it happen when we right. want it to all the time. And so um, I think 
I've especially struggled with this and God has had to um, remind me that, you know, he's creating for me my particular story and it's not for me to look at somebody else's trials and, or especially trials in the area of miscarriage and infertility and say, well, what about her or why not her? And a particular scripture that he used to train me in this area is um, at the end of John 21, Jesus is talking to Peter Mm. and John is there also. And Jesus is telling Peter, feed my sheep and um, kind of expands on that a little. And he, it says in John 21, 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And it goes on to say, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? (laughs) And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, Mm. what is that to you? You must follow me. Mm. And he repeats it again a couple verses later. And so I feel like God has repeatedly had to teach me this lesson where I say, God, what about her, you know? And God says, if I choose to do something different in her life, what is that to you? You Mm -hmm. follow me. And in that, just reminding me that, like, my job is to follow him through whatever trials and valleys and mountaintop experiences I walk through with him. You know, everybody else is going to experience suffering at some point in life. No one is totally spared from the road marked with suffering. And the next girl's suffering might look different from mine and it might be a totally different area, but it is not for me to, like point and compare and envy. And when Peter does that and points to John and says, what about him? You know, Jesus rebukes that and says, what is that to you? You know, you follow me. Mm. And so I feel like God has had to say that to me many times in my life. You know, what is that to you, what I'm doing in so-and-so's life? You follow me. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to this issue of envy and comparison. Like God is designing each of our own stories and his goodness. And it's hard to see his goodness and when the circumstances are bad, but his goodness is all over it. And when we look back, we will see it, you know, we certainly see that in Peter's story, but I'm sure at the time it, you know, yeah. Felt hard. His was a road marked with suffering. No doubt about that, but yeah, it's so hard. It's so, you know, it's one thing to talk about. It's so hard to live that out because this is one of those areas that is just so visible. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I mean, it's, there's a lot of types of grief that I think we can struggle mm-hmm. to envy someone who has something that we've lost. Um, this is one that we just cannot get away from because people wear it mm-hmm. on their bodies mm-hmm. when they are, when they do have the gift, when they are pregnant, you, mm-hmm. there's no missing it. Yeah. And, um, and that makes it particularly challenging. And yeah. so thanks for sharing that. That's good stuff, Kara. That's, that's intense. I'm feeling challenged by that as well. It's so good. Well, as we wrap up our time, I want you to, I want to revisit this idea of, of isolation, because I think that is just one of the dangers of this type of grief. And I'd love for you to speak directly to anyone listening now who is currently going through a season of, of grief in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so prevalent. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just struck with, again and again, how many people in my life are dealing with this right now mm-hmm. and experiencing this grief? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you encourage them to do? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it um, really helped me with all three miscarriages and even the year of infertility to reach out to people who had been through it before. Um, I remember after the first 
miscarriage, suddenly I cared so much about the stories of women I'd known who'd gone Mm. through miscarriages. And at the time when they went through it, I was kind of insensitive. I was like, well, you know, they'll get pregnant again. It'll be fine. And Mm. suddenly I wanted to know every single detail and I wanted to know their whole story. And I reached out to probably four or five women, you know, what is your story? Retell it to me. I'm sorry. I was insensitive at the time. What did you do to get through the grief? What helped you through the process? Do you have any suggestions? And these women wrote back really long emails to me. I remember each Mm -hmm. one. And um, it helped me so much to hear their stories and um, to know the details and to know what they did to get past it. Some some of them had funerals for their lost babies. Some of them had given names to their lost children. Um, Some of them had like an ornament or an item in the house that they used to Mm -hmm. commemorate that child all sorts of things that we do to bring closure when we do lose a loved one, you know, they had done with their lost children. And that was beautiful to me to hear these stories and to put some of these ideas into practice. Um, And then with the third miscarriage, the one most recently, I was just so deep in sorrow. And I remember um, I called my mentor, Claire, the day that we found out the the final bad news, you know, the doctor said this baby isn't going to make it. And I was crying so hard. I mean, I couldn't even speak. And she knew she'd been praying leading up to it. And so she knew what my phone call meant without me having to say anything. She could just hear the sobs. And I just remember she said a lot in that phone call, but um, she had walked a similar road um, 10 or 15 years before during her childbearing years. And I just remember her saying to me, he is good, Kara. He took five, but he is good and she had had five miscarriages Mm. and she was able to say like he took five of my children she she ended up having three children but five didn't make it and she's still able to look back and say he is good and he he was good and he is good and I just remember that phrase um and it really made an impression on me and stuck Mm. with me in the days and weeks to follow and then two days later I had the DNC and the very next day I flew with a friend. We flew about an hour away to a worship conference that was going on in another city. And it was this kind of like 24-7 prayer and praise kind of thing. Yeah. And this good friend had just been through a miscarriage herself several months before, oh. and she flew with me, which was so wonderful. I mean, I was doing this because this is how King David responds when he loses mm-hmm. his baby. You know, he prays for, I think it's a week that the baby would live. The baby doesn't make it. And then he gets up and worships. And so I was trying with all my being to be obedient. So we got up, we flew, we went to worship. But sitting there at the, you know, in the little room where people are doing prayer and praise, it was so hard for me to join in. And I sat there, like not agreeing with the words and, you know, wanting to sing them. But my heart wasn't in a singing mood. I was just crying, you know. And I went for a walk afterwards. And um, this friend who was, you know, a peer of mine, And who had been through it herself said to me, you know, I was listening to God during that worship time on your behalf. And I felt like he said, "Um, I'm so pleased with her Hmm. for her obedience. I'm just so pleased with her. And at the time, to be perfectly honest with you, my reaction was cynical. I was like, well, great. I'm glad he's pleased because I'm miserable. Like, that's nice. God is happy, but I'm not, you know. And it was sort of a sarcastic response, but... That phrase also stuck with me, similar to the one that had been uttered a couple days before by my mentor. And in this case, Sarah's phrase was, he's so pleased with you. You know, God said, I'm so pleased with her. 
And that stuck with me too in the days and weeks that followed. And I, and I knew that and believed that and felt that she had heard that clearly from the Lord and that he was pleased with my obedience and the prayer that I had put in, even though it didn't pan out the way I wanted, that he was pleased with me. And I felt God's pleasure. I felt like he was preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemy as it says in Psalm 23, I felt that he was doing that and making the enemy watch (laughs) as he prepared that table for me, even though I wasn't happy with the circumstances, even though I was miserable and crying almost every day, I felt like he was pleased with me and I clung to that. And so all that to say, I felt like those women linked arms with me on either side and helped me carry that burden. Um, Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I feel like if we don't give others a chance to carry that burden with us, we're not helping them fulfill the law of Christ. Like in doing that, Claire and Sarah were fulfilling the law of Christ by carrying that burden with me. And um, I hope I've been able to fulfill the law of Christ as I've carried that burden with other women who've miscarried. Um, But if if we keep it quiet and don't tell anyone and don't share it, we're not allowing others to share that burden with us. And that's a command in scripture that we're supposed right. to carry one another's burdens. And so I would hope that anyone listening who's gone through this would be willing to share it with others, would be willing to both help carry others' burdens and would be willing to let others carry theirs yeah. because we're not meant to bear these things alone. That's and right. scripture tells us so. Wow. Carol, that's so good. Part of why I was so honored and excited that you agreed to do this interview is because you are a wounded healer and you are living that out. And just by sharing the things that you've shared in this episode, I know that you are doing exactly that, exactly what you just described. You are sharing your story and sharing the truth Mm -hmm. that God brought into your life to help you walk through that desert, walk through that suffering. So thank you so much, Kara, for being here. Mm -hmm. I just love you. And I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful for your honesty Mm -hmm. and your vulnerability, but also Mm -hmm. the truth and the wisdom that you bring. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me share. It's therapeutic to share Mm -hmm. my story. And I think it also um, is good because it always reaffirms when I share it reaffirms the truths that God has taught me. Mm, And as I repeat them, they become even more ingrained in my own soul. So that's awesome. Well, I'm so grateful for you and I am looking forward to getting a copy of the Bible study Mm -hmm. and I will let all you listeners know when that is officially out and available and you can get your hands on that. And I'm, I'm so uh, proud of you for including this really difficult topic in the study Mm -hmm. because I know that that's been a challenge and hasn't always felt easy, but you've pushed through and and done it. And I think it's going to be totally awesome. So thanks so much, Kara. And uh, thanks for listening today. Come back in a couple weeks as we wrap up our series, Wounded Healer. We're going to be talking about shame. I think it's going to be a great interview. So join us again for that in a couple weeks. And until then, remember to dig deep. 